Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to our 40th episode of Plenty for Everyone. I am Jennifer Mulholland, the principal of Plenty, along with Jeff Shuck, my partner, the other principal, calling in from Michigan City, Indiana. And I'm calling in from Park City, our retreat center called Heart Space. It is so snowy here, and I keep talking about it over and over to whoever I get a chance to speak about this morning because it's ridiculous how much snow we have. We had about 30 inches fall in the last 24 hours and there's nowhere to put it. We have like single lane neighborhood roads. So it's going to be very interesting as the snow continues to fall. But if you're a skier, now's the time to come out West and ski this beautiful powder. What Jen is successfully playing off is that she's talked about this over and over because this is our third take at recording (laughs) this podcast this morning, which is so ironic. We always say, be careful what you wish for. We want to do an episode on (laughs) receiving constructive criticism. (laughs) And we've now done three takes, three revisions to get you, dear listener, this version, which will hopefully find the light of day, dealing with our own exchange of feedback internally, how to give it and how to receive it. And that's what we want to talk about today because it's a world that we're living in right now. Yeah. And the irony, the irony, Jeff, I just think it's like, it's not only be careful what you ask for. Yes. But it's also this commitment to practice what we preach because I, it feels like the speed at which we're as being asked to practice exactly what we're talking about. The irony of that is pretty comical. So so the original setup for this was going to be the fact that we got our first revision of our book back from the editors. And the previous two times I've tried to give this timetable, you've told me I've done it incorrectly. So I'm going to let you explain the timeline of when we got, when we submitted the draft and when we got the feedback back. Yes. Well, I think part of our intention with writing our first book was to be inside this portal of solstice to solstice. So we started it summer solstice, June 21st, 2022. And we submitted our first draft on winter solstice 2022. So that six month time frame is where we really kind of created our focus and our intent and the discipline to write our book amongst the other client work and the other consulting and coaching work that we do. We then submitted it to our publishers and we and editors and got that feedback back maybe mid-January. And it, as you say, let, came in with a thud in our inbox. And it was quite intimidating to even open to begin reading a stranger's view of our first kind of vulnerable share, if you will, our birthing of something new around conscious leadership and what it means to be a conscious leader and how you can practice it is really kind of what the theme is for our book. And it felt scary to even open up the email to look. How did you feel receiving it? Well, maybe just to give people a little context, 
if they haven't done this before, and we know a lot of listeners of our podcast have written a book, but if you haven't, what you do is there's actually a few rounds of edits, and this is our first edit. It's called a developmental edit. And the idea is it just is helping you on the overall structure. Did we repeat ourselves? Do we have a voice that's consistent? You know, do we know generally where we're going? Does the book hang together and as a story? Then we correct, and there's a line edit, which is dotting of T's and crossing of I's and getting us to use the right pronouns and all the other things that happen when you read a book that someone has spent a lot of time working on. So it's interesting that it's not just one edit. I think that's kind of my first reaction is that the process of making something is, you know, you always call it Jenna birthing process. And definitely like, I think my first feeling when I opened it was, holy shit, there's a lot of red marks in this. That was my, and then thinking, wait, and this isn't even the last edit. So I think that was my first reaction before I even read anything that was in there was struck at how much was marked up. Yeah. I definitely had to get myself in a space to receive and to even hear the edits. And to your point, there are a lot of them, a lot in the spirit of cutting, right? Like just, we, we got a lot of feedback around the personal stories we were putting in there that they were too much and too long and really for another purpose. But I think well-intended, we were sharing more of kind of our relationship to the content that we were sharing. And some of the feedback came came back of like, okay, you can condense in here and this may need to be cut or replaced with a client case study or whatnot, which I think was helpful, but completely dependent upon the space at which we read the feedback. And we had to go through our own process of like, how are we going to even go about digesting and looking and incorporating it? So I think that's been a really interesting process is that this is an iterative process. And yes, it, you know, birthing a book is like, or birthing a service or a new retreat or a new offering or a business for any entrepreneur or business owner, it, it has its stages and it is kind of an iterative ongoing process of growth or becoming. And I didn't realize that the editing process was going to be as rich as actually the writing process. And so that's kind of where we are right now of incorporating these edits. And maybe we can just talk a little bit about like what, what was helpful, like what was helpful for you to, how did you go about like even reading the comments in a way that you could hear them? Yeah. And I mean, and this gets to why we wanted to talk about this, this subject, we wanted to give everybody an update of where we are, but we also have learned a lot and had to apply a lot of what we've already learned to this. And I think, I mean, the first thing that I'll start with that I hear you talking about is just vulnerability, right? This is something we spent six months on. We had each spent, you know, hours and hours with the chapters and the material, it becomes your baby, you know, it's your idea, it's precious to you. So just opening it, it's why I started with my first reaction was, I didn't even read anything, I just noticed marks everywhere. And so reaction one is, is kind of owning your own vulnerability that you had a baby that you put out in the world, and someone needed to mark it all up. And I just wonder, 
I hear the same thing in your voice, right? That that protection or you know what vulnerability is the only way I can describe it. How would you describe that feeling? Yeah, I would echo that and say that within the vulnerability comes trusting the process. And if I liken it to having two natural births, there is a natural process to go through to birth a human being. And I'm not in complete control of that at all. And in fact, I'm not in control of most of it. And so trusting that there is a process of growth, there's a process of becoming, I think, trusting the process that there are there we're at this stage of now it's time to get feedback about where we are so we can continue fine tuning and you know distilling and simplifying and getting clearer but i think part of us had to we have had to trust our publishers of modern wisdom as the publishing company and in with intent we were lucky to cross their path or meant to cross their path in that their approach literally is designed to help people birth their books. They use that language and there's a whole process. So I feel like the vulnerability to not only put yourself out there and write and speak your truth, but also trusting the process that part of it is to see how that truth interacts with the world and interacts with a stranger reading it, who we have had had no relationship with. And we were, you know, invited to basically like take it or leave her edits, essentially. Unfortunately, I think that vulnerability or that kind of approach led us to be able to receive what she had to say. And the generality of like the the overview comments brought me to tears. I mean, I was moved to tears to read a stranger's feedback at a macro level about what we were sharing. And I think that approach helped me settle in to be able to then read the more specific critiques of the paragraphs and of the sentences and of the chapters that had made it a little bit, made it a lot easier to digest, to, to hear her come from. Yeah. You know, you're so in the category of like pointing people to tools. I love that the first one is trust and we all get feedback that we don't necessarily want or aren't looking for. And sometimes that feedback feels like criticism. And I love just the orientation of trusting that it benefits you, right? Trusting that that it's the old Nietzsche of anything that doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And whether or not you even believe that's true, it's it's easier and better to go through life, I think, believing that the feedback you're receiving is helping you, right? It's all helping you get somewhere. And whether that feedback is you, you know, you're breaking your leg skiing and it's teaching you to slow down a little bit, or you have a stomach ache when you eat too much junk food and it's asking you to eat healthier, or it's just trusting that the feedback from the, the editor is actually going to make your work better. So I love the trust. And then you're going to a second one, which we had talked about, which is intention and maybe to frame that up and then hit the, hit the ball back across the net. Right before we sent in the edit, so I guess December, you'll remind me of the time frame, but we had a conversation about should we frame up comments to the editor who we don't know, or should we just let it go, the manuscript go? And we kind of bounced back and forth and landed on, no, if there's specific things we want, 
from the editor. Let's let's write them. Let's ask for what the feedback we want. And that was so great. And a few times, and even this morning, Jen, you reminded me, you know, the feedback was easier to get because we asked for it. And there was a second thing. So if the first thing is trust. The second thing is shared intention. We asked that she give us feedback that would make our book more readable to the reader. And then she outlined back to us. She said, thank you so much for telling me what you're looking for. And just when we could read where she was coming from, it was so easy to see that she, it, there was nothing personal to it at all, right? That she had the intention that we did of making the book as as good as it can be. And I think that's just an interesting way to look at all feedback as well. Like, what if we all have the same intention and it's not always expressed in the way that we want it, but what if we're all trying to get to the same place? And sometimes that intention is not shared, you know, because I think in real life too, we get feedback we haven't even asked for. We're talking about a very concrete example where we asked for feedback. We were intentional about the feedback we wanted and it was really helpful to receive it. But oftentimes we are getting feedback from people's reactions or people don't like what we say or how we show up or we're, you know, critiqued or judged in our families or in social situations or in work and that with the people we lead. And that comes back to, I think the third point is like, we always have choice. We have the choice to respond to the feedback we get in how it best serves us and how we want to receive it. And it, that is a nuance of catching ourselves and not playing victim and not having to take every piece of feedback and run with it. We have the choice to sit with it and to respond. And sometimes there are other tools and mechanisms that we can talk about that are helpful to help you make a more empowered choice on how you are interacting with that feedback. I think the theme of you know, trusting and having a shared intention sets us up for, then it, it's an easier choice to make about how we want to incorporate the feedback. And in our case with the book, there's not many red lines that we aren't going to directly incorporate and accept and, and act on. And that feels like in this context, really helpful to up-level and to support the intention we have of writing the book in the first place. And other times when we're not asking for that feedback and it feels really off-kiltering or disruptive or hurtful, we're, it's easier to react versus remember that we're always empowered to ask ourselves, is this helpful? Do I want to incorporate this? Is there truth behind? Is there another perspective I could see in somebody else's interpretation of how I'm showing up. I like what you're pointing to because there's a nuance there that I think is worth exploring of the idea that if we're in a, a partnership of trust and shared intention, like you might have with your family or your loved one or your team at work, that then feedback is in is on offer. I think you're pointing to the difference between feedback, which is a, this mutual exchange, and just comments, right? 
just feed. <laughs> and this this takes us to our one of our favorite punching bags is social media. But there's a reason that, you know, what used to be called the wall on Facebook, if anyone even still remembers that or uses <laughs> right. Facebook anymore, is is called the feed, right? Like it literally evokes you being a domesticated animal getting <laughs> going to the trough and getting getting your cornmeals, you know, spooned out to you. It's, it's the feed. It's this drip of, of crap that you may not want. And you definitely didn't ask for. And I think there is a difference in just taking people's feed <laughs> versus the feedback of, and I, I like your point to something here of, of, a, of a how maybe a conscious leader can differentiate between all the stimulus and all the opinions out there that people are more than happy to share, right? About how you should conduct your life, which is different than people sitting down in trust and intention and saying, Hey, I know the kind of person you want to be. And, you know, you have the choice, your third word to take this or not, but this is what I see. Right. So I like that difference. Cause I think I think sometimes as a conscious leader, because we're trying to be attuned and aware, there's a risk of mistaking opinions for feedback. And I think you're pointing out that they're different. And I think that's a really wise observation. Yeah. Well, it's the juicy intersection, I think, of where we love to play of like the professional and the personal, right? The the leader part of ourselves and the intimate, you know, human of ourselves. And I will speak for myself and I know you have had many, we've, we all have had many experiences like this where you walk into a room or you have an interaction and it's abrasive and you you don't even know how you got there, but you can feel the judgment or projections or criticism coming at you either because you said something a certain way or it wasn't it received a certain way, or maybe what you shared triggered some a reaction in somebody else, or they weren't really listening. So they just glommed onto a part of what you shared. And all of a sudden you're in this like defensive, you know, protective mode, right. That creates kind of a shutdown, if you will. And I think it's very different when you have a shared intention to help one another grow. So as a conscious leader, as we lead other people. A leader is a person who's leading, shining the light and is a leader of people. Then as you're doing that to make sure that you have a shared intention of what is helpful for growth or what is helpful, what's the feedback your team members are really seeking or needing? What's the feedback that would be helpful for you to ask your team about a subject or about how you're leading or your your effectiveness in a meeting. And I think with the book for us, we had a shared intention, you and I, we communicated that shared intention and what we wanted. Fortunately, we received somebody who matched the desire that we were writing towards and that writing towards the audience of a conscious leader. Like there was another subject that that our editor helped us get clearer on how we could better or more effectively reach the reader we were writing to. And I feel like there's like an interesting playground there of matching intention, asking for feedback, showing up with vulnerability, 
And that quality difference that feels a lot different than when you don't ask for feedback and somebody's just giving it to you. And then all of a sudden you're kind of down this rabbit hole of defensiveness and reaction. Yeah, I think the defensiveness, I mean, you're pointing to another concept that's worth exploring. It's the idea of kind of taking responsibility for your own need for affirmation, right? And so this is maybe not exactly related to the ideas of trust and intention and choice that we're talking about, but it is a place that I know I get into trouble. And I think sometimes the clients we work with get into trouble that they've they've cloaked the need for affirmation in a request for feedback. And that's just a recipe to be super disappointed. (laughs) Like if you have not learned that yet, let me be the one dear listener to tell you, you know, (laughs) right. And so what you're actually asking when you say to someone, take a look, would you read this article and tell me what you think about it? And you get, it's all red penned marked up and you actually just wanted someone to write a plus at the top of the paper, right? Life is a different kind of school and we get different kinds of grades and the grades all come from ourselves. So I think that's a very interesting process of, wait, what was I actually asking for? You know, and you framed a a great tool of as when you are asked for feedback as a conscious leader, it's nice to say in return, what kind of feedback would be helpful because Sometimes we also kind of cloak our our need for control in an ability to give feedback. And so these things of like, I need affirmation, but, you know, I'll ask for it in feedback or I need to show how smart I am, but I'll cloak it in feedback are really like little, little shadows out there that these, (laughs) these kinds of interactions help help exposed for us. And it's sneaky. I love what you just emphasized because it's one of the tools I think we wanted to share that works for us is making, checking out your assumption. So just asking, reflecting back what feedback would be helpful is so powerful because you check your assumptions at the door versus acting on what you think would be helpful or what you think the other person is really needing or wanting in the moment. You know, I I find myself getting caught in this all the time because I come from like my natural default is to coach, is to motivate, is to help, it's to heal. And if I'm not careful, I kick into coaching mode way too quick. Like I kick into the affirmer and I kick into the, you know, what I think would be helpful. And then I can tell shortly after a few minutes of, speaking, even though my heart is coming from such a pure, caring place, that it's not landing. It's not really what the person needed in that moment. And I didn't ask. I didn't ask what what would be helpful. Sometimes when a person is suffering or hurting, they don't know what they need. I'm not sure if I'm sure many people listening, including ourselves, can relate to that. Like when you're in overwhelm, When you're filled with anxiety or you're feeling super lost, it's hard to know what you need, but there's body cues. And and if we don't ask the people that we care about or that we're in this conversation with or our clients or people we're leading, it's much more likely that we'll kind of miss the boat or speak past them because we're running on our false assumption of what we think is going to be helpful. Well, I love that. And the other thing that just I'd love to add, tag on to that is there's a corollary of like sometimes when people are 
are in a moment of despair or a moment of crisis, they, they honestly, you'll say, what do you need? And they'll say, I don't know. There's other times, I mean, there's another trap where you, we'll sometimes occasionally hear this from clients. We'll say, what kind of feedback would be helpful? And people will say, I just want you to tell me what to do. And that's equally a red flag. You know, ours isn't to solve for other people. And I think it really takes discipline when people say things like that to us because we do have lived experience and we do have perspective and we want to help. And in those moments when we hear people say, I just want someone to tell me what to do. Wow, that is, that's the sign for us to slow down and not say anything and point people back to what they know inside because that's a tricky, slippery slope. Yeah, and there's nothing more fucking annoying than somebody telling you that you have the answers inside. <laughs> I mean, like, right? So we know this to be true because we've we've experienced it for ourselves. And the more committed we are to turning inside for our answers, the more practice we have on tapping into them. And it's just not what culture and society is set up to emphasize. It is the, you know, we, we kind of live in this consumer based quick fix magic pill era. And, you know, it's, it's hard to hear that being reflected to yourself or reflecting it out to, to, to a loved one or someone you care about. I just said it last night to one of my dear best friends. And as I said it, I literally wanted to throw up in my mouth because I could feel what that Did feels like on the, on the other side. You know, I know that to be true, but it's, it wasn't helpful in the moment. And I was like trying to search for how can I support a dear friend who's needing support and friendship right now and a safe place to be guided, to tune into her knowing her wisdom, to be reminded that she has the answers. And yet it, it's difficult because when you're in that position, you just don't, it, it's hard to, I know when I've been in that position, I haven't wanted to go there, right? It's like harder. It's more elusive. So it's an interesting, like it works and it's true. And yet it feels so trite at times because it's so elusive. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe from that, we've talked about a few things that we have learned and that hopefully are helpful to people in terms of how to receive feedback. We've talked about trusting intention, being clear on intention, the power of choice, taking responsibility for the affirmation you need, checking assumptions. Maybe let's build on that and now talk about like what we did. So that's how to be in this place to receive it. And then what do you do with it? And again, just to focus on our book example, but this happens every day in our lives and, and probably in yours too. Then you have a choice on kind of, do I act on it? What do I do with it? And so once we got to the place of starting to read through these comments, I think we were surprised at how expanded we were by them. And I would maybe you can riff a little bit, Jen, about how you went from like, accepting that there was a lot of feedback to then how did you navigate what to act on, what to disregard, how to proceed? Mm -hmm. Two things. One was I really needed to create space. Mm -hmm. And I know you did too. Like we didn't go get into it. We didn't start editing and reading all the comments like the day we got them back. I actually think we waited at least a couple weeks. and. 
part of that was intentional and part of it was our schedule. But I think having that space to create a little bit of distance between what we were getting back and then going into the details was important. It created a safer place to read the comments. We felt this way when we were writing that we made a commitment to each other that we wouldn't write if we were in a low mood or if we were angry or overwhelmed or triggered or feeling human that day, right? We really wanted to come to the book when we were in a higher mood with more flow and intentionality. And it's the same way of like receiving the feedback. I I really couldn't read the feedback until I had my environment felt like it was set up well to read it quietly uninterrupted. And that I kind of did a little bit of coaching on myself of trying to remember my not to take things personally. And so creating the space between reading the, like getting the edits and reading them and also creating space between my ego and like being fragile with my thinking, being fragile with my reaction and kind of depersonalizing that a little bit. We call that the observer. Like how do we create space between what we're seeing and how we're digesting and interpreting. And that practice was helpful to remember like, okay, these are not personal attacks on Jen and Jeff. This is feedback coming from a shared intention to help this information and share become clearer and help our reader, you know, with the tools we set out to to write in the first place. So those two things, I think for me helped a lot creating the space and then practicing depersonalization, practicing if this wasn't my chapter or wasn't my words that I wrote, how would I receive this feedback? That was helpful. How about you? Well, I think I'm not sure if mine is a new one or a build off of that second point, but I think something that we have to do with our clients a lot was really helpful with the book, which is, I mean, to go back a few, a minute or so, you said at the beginning, it landed with a thud. It it really did. I thought it was going to take us like three months to get the edits and we got them in like two weeks. So I was kind of not prepared. I thought I was free and clear of the book for a couple months and and I, I just needed that mental space, honestly, especially the last couple of chapters. There was a bit of a slog, at least for me, to pound them out. I was definitely grinding out there at the end, which now shows up when I read it, by the way. So just taking a couple of weeks, it just sat in the inbox. But that space helped me depersonalize in any way to get back to that point. There is a technique we often, I think, have to do with clients. Like in the sales process, sometimes we'll we'll bid on work that we don't get or we'll get excited about a, a potential engagement and it falls through. And we have gotten pretty disciplined about kind of arguing the other side of it. And whether you call that, some people call it steel manning, some people call it the Turing test. There's these logical models. But the idea is take the argument instead of from your standpoint and take it from the other party's standpoint and assume it's correct. And so when I just opened the, when I finally opened the edit, I remember talking with you and I said, my posture is going to be to take all of her advice. 
And like, I'm going to stand in that place and then read it from that place instead of my posture is I wrote it and I wrote the best stuff and I'll decide what I take standing in the place of the other party and saying they're correct. I will have to defend to myself, not that it's defensive, but I, I will have to make the argument that I don't accept the changes. And it's just a very interesting, like, I know I'm talking a little more intellectually or academically than spiritually, but I find it very, very useful of just taking the other party's perspective. And actually, over the last few weeks, we've done this same process with our website, with our emails, when we could actually read from the editor's standpoint and saw her intent was aligned with ours, hey, I want to get your message as clearly and concisely as possible to your listener. It's allowed us to say, like, look at other things that we do from this perspective of the reader or the client or the person we're trying to reach instead of from our perspective. So I'll stop there. But I, I found that to be incredibly helpful to absorb the feedback from her point of view instead of mine. Yeah, I love that. And it it, it kind of tees up, I think, the last point we wanted to, or maybe the, a couple, two more points <laughs> that we wanted to talk about is that, you know, especially when you're not asking for feedback, you know, in, in our book example, our editor was so aligned with our intent because we were really clear about our intent and she matched it. When we're out in the world or working with clients, leading teams, interacting with loved ones, and we get that instant feedback or criticism that we didn't ask for, assume good intent first and notice what happens when you do. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes, especially in society right now, there's just so much siloed competition. The reason why we have such a huge DEI kind of initiative in business and equity and inclusion is because we ha we've been set up to think that we are separate. And this competitive model that is so in our ethos of culture perpetuates this idea that people are out to get us or that we are different from each other. And yes, we all have differences, but the intent behind our actions and the intent behind other people giving us feedback often isn't malicious. Often it is coming from a place of care or, or interest in growth. And sometimes it's not. So that's, it's just a really helpful, you know, question to say, okay, can I assume good intent here? And if I did, how would I be able to receive this feedback? And if you don't understand, or if it's landing, you know, in an abrasive way, again, you have choice of how you deal with it. You can ask for context. You can ask for, you know, clarity. You can ask for more information as to why that person felt like they needed to share their feedback with you in such a way. There, there's just an inquiry that I think it opens up a more, a dialogue to check out your assumptions, to close the distance and to to, you know, again, empower you to choose of how you want to move forward. So that feels really helpful to practice on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's with your clients or the people you lead or the loved ones in your partnerships at home. I think that's a great one to end on. And I think the last podcast from a couple of weeks ago, we ended on a topic and I said, oh, we could do a whole episode on that. And I'm going to say the same thing about assume good intent. We could do a whole episode on that. And actually, 
in one of the chapters in the book, we talk about this and we're not saying there aren't injustices, there aren't inequities, there aren't malicious things structurally that have been set up, historical wrongs that need to be righted. We're talking about empowerment. We're talking about taking your own viewpoint back. We're not talking about, you know, giving a pass to every injustice that comes your way. And it's a, there's a lot to unpack there that would be great for a whole nother episode. But when you start by saying, you know, assume good intent takes us all the way back to the beginning of trust. Like, I trust that this will make me better somehow. That doesn't mean you tolerate it forever. And there is feedback and there are things in the world that are are worth changing. But even that process of changing, maybe that can be used to make us feel more empowered than we are. That's kind of what we're saying. There's a lot there to to talk about. Yeah. And I would say, you know, there's so much power in your vulnerability. And that's what we've learned. Like this has really challenged us to put ourselves out there. And even the process has felt more raw. And the more raw and real we can be in our companies, in our businesses, with the people you serve, the more real, the more growth, the more authenticity, and the more empowerment is able to emerge. And that's not a place you get to by reading a book or by having any instructions. It it comes forth by experimenting and by living and leading and, and learning what works for you. Coming back to, you know, your ability to choose is always constant. And our hope is that you can kind of come from that place of an empowered one so that you're more aware of what your intention is, what you need to share, and how you need to to receive feedback that's helpful for you to grow. Can I add one point that you just inspired? I do think at the end of the day, it comes back to our namesake. It comes back to having a worldview of abundance versus a worldview of scarcity. And when you look through a lens of scarcity, ideas are few and far between. And inspiration is hard to get at. And so criticism to your ideas feels really personal. And it feels like an attack. And it feels like it's undermining something precious and something so limited. And when you see that we actually live in a world of creativity, where new ideas are a thought away, that inspiration is always available to you, that new ideas are just one new thought away, you are more able to say, yeah, I could make this better. I can sacrifice this good paragraph to make a great paragraph, or I can let go of this pretty good idea that I spent a long time on to let someone else in to make that pretty good idea really exceptional. And I I do think there's an orientation back to the idea of plenty that's part of creating. It's part about creating with someone else, right? You talk about a vulnerable process, not just writing, but (laughs) co-writing and then, you know, allowing someone new into the whole mix. Yeah. There's, there's so much power in leading and living with neutrality, like detachment in that spirit where you can let other people come and play. And we certainly noticed that with some of the personal stories that felt like sacred cows felt really important to share. 
and they may be important to share, but they're not meant to be shared in this book or this in this form. And that that surrendering, that letting go, that like detaching from what you think is so precious to what if it it could be, if it needs to be said, it could be said someplace else, or maybe it doesn't need to be said at that moment. And so there's just, there's so much growth and juice in experimenting. And I love the point about choosing abundance, choosing an abundant mindset and trusting that we are meant to live in a world with each other. That's why we are a communal species as human beings. So more to say, we're kind of going on and on. Really appreciate everybody's listening. And I think tune into the notes and please share this podcast with others. And if you're interested in this kind of practice, if you will, we'd love for you to check out our website or come to Lantern, our leadership retreat for conscious leaders in Park City, Utah. Yes. And a special thank you. Our last episode, episode 39, got an above average number of respondents to us, which was so funny because when we were recording it, I thought it was, we were just rambling. And, and so many people reached out and said, this was so great. And how can I thank you? And the best way you can thank us is to give us a rating and a review and a follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all the ones I can't remember. So we read all the reviews, the ratings mean a lot and help us in the nuanced algorithm that's out there that we're a part of too. So thanks for your support and thanks for tuning in. Thanks everybody, we'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at plentyconsulting.com.